Now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9 again this evening. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll begin reading from verse 6 this evening. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and, of, and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this wonderful night. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being together in your house once again. Lord, I pray that this evening as we continue our study of Isaiah chapter 9, that, Lord, you would bless our time in your word, that, Lord, you'd have your hand upon me as I speak. And, Lord, I pray that everything I say this evening would be your words and your thoughts, that you would empower me through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you give us understanding of your word. And Lord, we leave this place singing your praises, Lord, now knowing that we've been in your presence and gained a, a greater understanding of everything you've done for us, Lord, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at Christmas time, of course, the world remembers the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they will get together and they'll sing Christmas carols. They'll sing, you know, away in a manger. They'll sing the first Noel, well, they'll sing about the three kings. They sing about the birth of our Lord and the events that take place. But you know, to the world, to the unsaved, Christ is simply just a baby born in a manger long ago. A baby who beat the odds in a sense and grew up to make something of himself. You know, they perhaps view him as being a good man, someone who did good things. But you know, to them, he is nothing more than just an ordinary man. You know, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 makes it abundantly clear to you and I that Christ is much more than an ordinary man. Isaiah tells us here that Christ is the mighty God. It says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. The Mighty God. We've already looked at the names Wonderful and Counselor. And now this evening we see that Isaiah proclaims that Christ is also the mighty God. He gives him this title. So this evening as we consider this third name, the mighty God, I want us to look at the fact that it speaks about two great truths. It speaks about the fact that Christ is deity and it speaks about his omnipotence. And so first of all, I want us to notice his deity. His deity. You know, the name Mighty God here is a name that's used to speak um, of God the Father. It's used in connection with God the Father. Go to chapter 10 of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, and verse 21. We'll go back to verse 20. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One, Israel in truth, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. Now, Isaiah here uses this same title in connection with God the Father. It's the exact same Hebrew words, and he uses it talking about God the Father. 
And so the fact that back in chapter 9 and verse 6, he uses it in connection with the Messiah, in connection with Christ, tells us that this is a clear statement of Christ's deity. That's what this name is. It's a clear statement of the deity of Christ. You know, there are a few places in the Old Testament where we have a clearer declaration of this wonderful truth. You know, there is places, but you know, this is one of the clearest, isn't it? One of the clearest declarations of Christ, the Messiah, being fully God. You know, when Christ left heaven's glory all those years ago to be born in a manger, he didn't cease to be God. He didn't suddenly stop being God and just become a man. Rather, instead, he became the perfect God-man. He took upon him the form of a man. He took upon him flesh and blood. But at the same time, he remained fully God. He became the perfect God-man, fully God and fully man, as we say in theology, the hypostatic union. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, we were there this morning with pastor preaching. Matthew 21, chapter 1, verse 23, reveals this glorious truth that Christ was more than just Another baby, let's go there, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You know, Matthew here quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, quoting this prophecy, the fact that his name should be called Emmanuel. And he interprets it and says, God with us. You see, Christ being born in a manger, Christ was much more than just another baby. Christ was God with us. Christ is God. Christ was and is Emmanuel. You know, the world may deny this truth, and indeed they do. They deny the fact that he's anything more than just a man. That You know, the false teachers deny this truth. You know, they can deny it all they want. But the truth of the matter is that Christ is deity. He is fully God. And these Old Testament prophecies make that clear to us, that he is the mighty God. You know, it's not just the Old Testament and the prophecies contained therein that teach us this. The New Testament reaffirms this fact, reaffirms that Christ is fully God. Go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, because we see that the teachings of Christ himself was that he was God. Christ claimed to be God. John chapter 5, and just read from verse 16. John 5 verse 16, it says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now here we have Christ talking to the people and he makes this claim in verse 17. He says, my father worketh here the two and I work. And you know, the people are enraged by this. The people are upset by this and they sought to kill him. Why? Because they understood what Christ was saying. Christ was claiming here to be equal with God, to be God. By making this statement that, you know, on the Sabbath, his father works and he works as well, he was claiming that God is his father, and by doing so, he's claiming that he's equal with God, claiming to be deity. You know, again, in the same chapter, 
In verse 23, Christ claims this same thing again. He says in verse 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. In verse 23 here, Christ says that men should honor him as they honor the Father. And again, the fact that he claims that he deserves the same honor as the Father is Christ claiming to be God, claiming to be equal with God, to have the same authority as God the Father. And then again in John chapter 10, just turn over there, John chapter 10. John chapter 10 verse 29 says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now here again at the end of the sermon on the, the Good Shepherd, Christ makes this bold claim. He says, I and my Father are one. A clear statement of his deity, Christ claiming to be God. And immediately because of this, the people, it says, take up stones to put him to death. They knew what Christ was claiming. They knew he was claiming to be more than just a man, to be God. You know, we've only looked at three quick passages from just the book, Gospel of John. But the fact of the matter is that Christ, right throughout his life, taught this as fact. Christ claimed to be deity. No matter what men may say, no matter what false teachers may say, Christ did claim and teach that he was what is that he was indeed God, more than just a man. You know, not only did Christ teach this about himself, but also his disciples taught this to be so. You know, the Apostle John identified Christ as the Word in John chapter 1, and he said that the Word was God. Let's go there, John chapter 1. I know we know this passage well, but let's read it, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. You know, here John clearly believed that Christ is God. Christ, John says that the Word, Christ, was with God and was God. See, John believed this to be so and taught it to be so. No matter what men may do with this passage where they try and twist it around and make it say that, the word was a God and things like that. No matter what they try and do, God's word is clear. John taught this clearly to you and I, that Christ, the word, was with God at the beginning and is God. He is equal with God. John understood this. He understood that Christ was of the same essence as God, the Father. You know, not only did John believe this, but Thomas believed it. Thomas, doubting Thomas, you know, John chapter 20, verse 28, you know, when he saw the Lord, when he saw the resurrected Lord for himself, saw the nail prints in his hands, the, the wound in his side and the nail prints in his, in his feet, you know, Thomas bowed the knee and he cried out, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed this to be so. Thomas made this great statement of faith. You know, Christ didn't rebuke Thomas for this statement, did he? He didn't say to Thomas, get up. He didn't do that because it's true. It's truth. Christ is indeed God. You know, even the Apostle Paul understood and taught Christ to be fully God. You know, if anyone was going to be opposed to the idea that Jesus of Nazareth 
was God manifest in the flesh, it would be Paul. You know, before his conversion, this is what he was. He was the Jewish zealot persecuting the church, persecuting those who believed and taught that Christ was anything but a man. You know, after his conversion, Paul spent his life witnessing to the truth that Christ was fully God, was and is fully God. Go to Titus chapter 2, just one verse, Titus 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul believed and understood that Christ is fully God. The point is that no matter what men may say, no matter what the false teachers say, Christ is deity. He's equal with God. He is God. The Old Testament teaches that with, the, the, with Isaiah's prophecies and other prophecies, the New Testament agrees with those prophecies, with Christ's teachings concerning himself and the apostles' teachings concerning Christ. They both all agree on this great truth that Christ is the mighty God. And you know, this is such an important truth. We cannot diminish the importance of Christ's deity. You see, because Christ is God, it means that he is able to save you and I from our sins. Pastor this morning spent a long time talking about the fact that Christ is our perfect Redeemer. And the other reason He could be our perfect Redeemer is because He is fully God. Because He was sinless. If Christ was just another man, then you and I have no reason to celebrate Christmas. There's no point to Christmas. There's no reason why the world celebrates Christmas. You know, Christmas isn't about a baby being born who turned out to be a good man who changed the world. No, Christmas is about the birth of the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. God manifests in the flesh. And you know, to be saved, you and I must understand and believe this glorious truth. We cannot reject the deity of Christ and be saved. Go to 1 John chapter 4. First John 4, verse 3. It says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. And then drop down to verse 15. It says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now, First John chapter 4 makes it clear that we cannot you know, be saved apart from this truth. You can't deny the deity of Christ, can't deny that he is the Son of God and be saved. The false teachers deny his deity, they're not saved. The world denies his deity, they're not saved. You see, to deny his deity, to deny that he is the eternal Son of God, is to reject who he is and to reject his salvation. Now, John chapter 3, verse 36 says, He that believeth... On the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. You see, we cannot have eternal life if we do not believe on the Son. Do not believe everything about the Son. Do not believe that He is deity. You see, Christ's deity is essential to our faith. It is essential to our salvation. You know, this Christmas, let us remember who Christ truly is. He's much more than a man. He is God, manifest in the flesh. 
He possesses all the attributes of God. He is omniscient. He's omnipresence. He's immutable. He's eternal. He is fully God. And here Isaiah focuses in particular on the fact that Christ is the mighty God. He focuses on Christ's omnipotence. Let's want to look at the sec- secondly this evening, Christ's omnipotence. He is deity and he is omnipotence. You see, this name, the mighty God, highlights this very fact. It highlights this truth. It highlights his power. Christ is indeed the mighty God. And you know, the fact of Christ's omnipotence is clearly seen throughout the word of God. We see his omnipotence clearly in his work of creation. John chapter 1 verse 3 says, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the one who is actively involved in creation. He is the creator. Christ is the creator of everything you and I see around us. Without him, nothing exists. Without him, you and I do not exist. Now, Paul expresses this same glorious truth in Colossians chapter 1. Let's turn there, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know, Paul expresses this same glorious truth. Christ, the eternal Son of God, is the creator of all things. By his might, by his power, by his omnipotence, he accomplished this. Everything was created by him, from the visible to the invisible. The spiritual realm, created by God, created by Christ. Not only that, but verse 17 ends by saying, by him all things consist. In other words, not only is he the creator, but he is the sustainer of all things. Everything continues to exist because of Christ. You know, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, they all stay in their position because of Christ. Because of his power, he holds it all in its place. The sun rises each day because of the power of Christ. Every day you and I witness his power as we look around at creation. And we look at the fact that it still exists. We're seeing his power. You know, this is how you and I know that we don't have to fear a thing called climate change. Because our God, our Savior, is the creator and the sustainer of all things. We have nothing to fear. doesn't matter what scientists claim, we have nothing to fear because Christ is holding it all together. And he's in control. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of all. You know, not only do we see his power in creation, but we also see it in his miracles. I mean, obviously, his miracles show and demonstrate his power. You know, his his miracles while he was here on earth was a clear evidence to those who saw them that he was much more than just a man. A clear evidence of the fact that he was who he claimed to be, the mighty God, manifest in the flesh. Now, we spoke about his miracles when we looked at the name Wonderful. We said that his miracles demonstrated how wonderful Christ really is. But they also demonstrate his power as God. 
Now, the fact that Christ could heal the sick of any ailments. He's the great physician. He has power over any illness, any sickness, any disease. The fact that he could provide food for 5,000 plus people with nothing but five loaves and two fishes shows that he is the omnipotent God. The fact that he could calm the wind and the waves by simply speaking the still small voice. Now the fact, of course, that he raised the dead shows again his omnipotence. You see, all these things, all these miracles were things that no mere man could do. And they're all demonstrations of his omnipotence. Clear evidence of the fact that he is the mighty God. You know, so clear was the demonstration of his power that men were left without excuse before God. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. says, Then began he to upbraid or to rebuke the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Why? Because they repented not. It says here that Christ began to rebuke these cities. Why? Because he demonstrated his mighty works. He'd shown them his omnipotence and they'd rejected him. They refused to believe. His mighty works were a clear demonstration that he is the mighty God, and yet they still rejected him. They were left without excuse before God. You know, some even tried to claim his power came from the devil. Chapter 12 of Matthew. Chapter 12, verse 22. It says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall his kingdom stand? Now here we see the Pharisees trying to dismiss the mighty power of God, tried to say that it was of the devil. Rather than accept the clear facts before them, the clear truth that the fact that Christ is casting out devil shows that he's from God, rather than accept the truth of his power, they tried to explain it away. They tried to claim that he was something else, that he was from the devil. You know, Christ's miracles are a clear demonstration of nothing else but his omnipotence as God. You know, of course, the greatest act of Christ's power, the greatest demonstration of his omnipotence was his death, burial, and resurrection. was his work of salvation. Because by his death, burial, and resurrection, he demonstrated his power to save you and I from our sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places? You know, Paul prayed that the believers would know and understand the greatness of Christ's power towards the believers, the greatness of God's power towards believers. 
demonstrated clearly by the fact that the grave could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. He died as a sacrifice for all mankind, for you and I, and on the third day he rose again, demonstrating his power over the grave. Now, verse 20 here, it says that God rose him. It says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It talks about the fact that the Father raised him back to life. You know, we know from other passages of the Word of God that Christ had this power in himself. In John 10, verse 18, it says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. Christ possessed power over his life and over his death. He possessed that power. And on the third day, he demonstrated that great power by rising again. And in doing so, he completed his work of redemption for you and I. You know, it's because of his power over death that you and I can now be redeemed from the slave market of sin. If Christ had stayed dead, then you and I have no hope. We talked about that last week, didn't we? How important the resurrection is, how wonderful the resurrection is. And Christ had that power, and by demonstrating that power, he showed his power over death, and he redeemed you and I. Made it possible for us to be redeemed. You see, he has conquered sin and the grave. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verse 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has won the victory. He has conquered death. He's conquered the grave. He's conquered sin. He has won the victory for you and I through his power. It's by his power that he has obtained eternal redemption for us through his blood. Hebrews chapter 9. Just turn there quickly. Hebrews 9 and verse 12. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. By his power, through his blood, he has obtained our redemption. He has won the victory. It's by his great power that you and I are now able to become the sons of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Christ has made it possible for you and I to now become the sons of God through his power. Indeed, the greatest demonstration of his power is seen in what he has done for us. By his death, his burial, his resurrection, he has reconciled all mankind unto himself. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Christ has made it possible for all to be saved, Jew or Gentile. All are reconciled by his great power. Indeed, Christ's omnipotence is clearly seen in the word of God. It's clearly taught, it's clearly evident to you and I that he is the mighty God. He is omnipotent. And you know, even today we see his power in our own lives as believers. We see his power because, you know, not only are we saved by his power, but we are kept by his power. Go to First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> First Peter 1 verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed 
at the last time. We are kept by the power of God, by Christ's power. We are kept by his power. We are saved by his power and we are kept by his power. Isn't that a wonderful truth to know that you and I do not have to fear losing our salvation? Once saved, we are always saved. And why can we know that for sure? Why can we claim that? Because he is the mighty God. Because he is omnipotence. As it says in John, we are in his hand, his hand is in the Father's hand, and no man can pluck us out of his hand. Why? Because he is the mighty God. It's his power that gives us that assurance. He began the work of salvation in us, and he will complete that work of salvation. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 tells us that. Let's just turn there quickly. Romans 8, verse 30. It says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You see, he has justified us, and he will glorify us one day in glory. He will bring it to completion. And we know that, we can claim that for sure, because he is the mighty God, because of his omnipotence. Not only that, but his power means that you and I can with confidence look to him for strength to do his will. You know, this is why Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 could say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul could say that, Paul could claim that boldly. Why? Because he understood that Christ is the mighty God. And so he could could make that claim that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The same is true for you and I as believers today. We are kept by his power and we are strengthened daily by his power to do his will. We can with confidence step out and do his will for our life because God, because Christ is with us. And he is the mighty God. You see, our Savior is much more than just another man. You know, the world this Christmas, they will remember the birth of a child. They will sing about it. They may even recognize him as growing up to be a good man, to have done good things. But Christ is much more than a man. Christ is the mighty God. Now let us honor and praise him as such this Christmas. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much, Lord, for the fact that you sent your Son. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that He is indeed much more than just another man. But Lord, He is your Son, the mighty God manifest in the flesh. Lord, it's because He was fully God that He's able to purchase our redemption. Because He's fully God that we know, Lord, that we are saved and kept by Your power. And Lord, You strengthen us daily. Lord, may we remember this great truth. May we remember who Christ is this Christmas. May we honor and praise You as such. We praise in Jesus' name.